Good morning. Last time I was up here a few weeks ago, four weeks ago, I was I had a cold and I was having a hard time speaking. Since then I had COVID and I've got like a nagging cough. So if you just would think of me, think more of Jesus, but if you think of me and pray for me, just I would not cough all the way through this sermon. I would be I would be grateful. We have uh, titled this sermon today, I've titled this sermon to run right is to run sacrificially. And um, as the Lord often does to the preacher, is I feel like there's, uh, there's a lot here for me um, this morning. Uh, there's been a lot here for me as I've been marinating in this passage the last week, um, because like, I'm, a, I'm a guy that talks a big game, where like, I'd like to live a sacrificial life, and at times I do live a sacrificial life, but I think we're, what we're called to is not just simply sacrifice, but joyfully sacrificing um, all that we have, everything that we are, our time, our talents, our treasure, in response to Jesus' sacrifice. And one of the warning signs on the dashboard of life in my life this week is that um, I've been quick to complain. Um, I've been quick to, um, to uh, poke at other people. I've been quick to see the wrong in other people rather than being quick to see the right in other people. And that doesn't lead to a sacrificial life. It leads to a complaining, thankless, selfish life. But thankfully, wherever you're at this morning, if you resonate with where I'm at or you're in a different place, in a, maybe a better place, um, that God's grace is sufficient. And his mercies are new every day, including today. Some of you know that back in 2007, I received an unexpected call from the Lord to be an interim pastor in this church. And I, I had been in the business world for 30 years. I'd been a bivocational elder here since 2001, so for six years. And through a number of circumstances, including this church planting a ch uh, another church in Greeley and sending the lead uh, primary teaching pastor to Greeley, um, there was uh, a leadership void, and, and I was between careers, so to speak, and the Lord tapped on me, and the other elders affirmed that I would be an interim elder in this church. It was a bit of a detour for me and my family, and uh, over the last 15 years of vocational ministry, there's been highs and lows, just like life, no different. There's highs and lows in life. Taking this job, this calling, if you will, has been a massive blessing. And it's been a privilege in many ways, but it's also involved sacrifice. There were dreams and goals that I had that I had to put away, or at least delay in order to do what God was calling me to do. There have been times where I've grown weary of sacrifice, and I've grown weary of the overwhelming brokenness in this world. Brokenness in this church, in this town, this country, in this world. When I'm in this place of weariness and being tired, I can just go through the motions. And God is kind enough to show me, like, Hardy, my son, you're going through the motions. And he calls me to come to him and be strengthened by his grace. 
Not just so I can survive, but so that I can get back on the road of living a sacrificial life. I've learned, or might I say that I'm still learning, that it's only normal for any human to lose their zeal at times to sacrifice for others. The question becomes, when I lose that zeal to sacrifice, where do I run to be strengthened? When I'm tired, weary, lonely, uh, irritable, where do you run to be strengthened? When I've tried to renew my strength by checking out and running to God's good gifts for renewal rather than running to the giver of all good gifts, I start to lose my desire to sacrifice. It actually backfires. I get more apathetic. I get more lazy. I get more irritable. But when I run to the cross of Christ, I'm reminded of Jesus' sacrifice that gave me life and gives me hope and gives me mercy day after day. And it's there at the altar of Jesus' sacrifice where I can find strength to not only face tomorrow, but to joyfully and willingly sacrifice. To lay it all out tomorrow. I can testify that over the years, the greatest joy that I've experienced is when I've given away my life. Not trying to keep it. Not trying to preserve it. But when I've given it away. And I'm not talking about vocational ministry here. That's my story. What's your story? I'm talking about sacrificially giving away our lives for the glory of God and the good of others. A couple of questions for you up front. Are you living a sacrificial life for the good of others and the glory of God? I don't even know how to help you answer that, but I pray the Spirit of God will. Do you have the attitude that you've sacrificed all of your life, particularly for some for you older folks, that you've sacrificed all your life for other people, and now it's me time? Rest is important. Rest is actually commanded. But there's no such thing as me time in God's word. Ever. We need to be filled up. We need to rest. But our lives are to be given for the glory of God and the good of others. Then maybe the, the third question I would ask is, when you're tired, when you're weary, when you need strengthening, where are you running to be strengthened? Let me remind us just with a little high-level context, if you're new with us or if you just need a reminder, we've only been in Hebrews for nine months now. Um, We finish it up next Sunday, by the way. And then after next Sunday, we're going to spend seven weeks in the one another's, which I'm super excited about. And then after the one another's, we're going to spend, I think, nine or ten weeks in the book of the Italian prophet Malachi. Malachi. So we get to do that. That's going to be a lot of fun. So that's kind of a roadmap where we're headed. Um, The author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians, um, uh, Jewish people by by ethnicity who have converted to Christianity. And these Jewish Christians are under some type of persecution from both their fellow Jews who have not converted to Christianity and the Roman government. As a result, some of these Jewish Christians seem to be wondering if Jesus is enough. Is he worth following? Is he worth sacrificing for? And they're being tempted to shrink back and blend into the culture and live watered down lives for their own glory. Our author warns professing Christians then and and now to stay the course. 
Don't shrink back. Devotion to Jesus and the way of Jesus is better than anything that we could give our lives to. Don't give up. If there's one word in all of Scripture that describes the call of every blood-bought Christian, that word would be what? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Not forgiveness. Sacrifice. Christianity is sacrificial through and through. It's founded on the self-offering sacrifice of the eternal God, Jesus. The Christian life isn't one of ritualism or formalized religion where we do Christian things. It's a relationship with the triune God. Christianity isn't a party that we belong to. It's a person that we're united to. Spiritually speaking, a Christian is one who has died. We're going to actually um, witness this today. We're going to see a, a physical um, illustration of a spiritual reality where Christians have died and buried and they've been raised with Christ. A Christian finds strength in Christ, has been set apart for Christ, and is called to sacrificially live for Christ and for the good of others. This is the abundant life. Jesus said he came to give us life and live it in life abundantly. And the abundant life is found in sacrificial living. It is so um, anti the American dream. And I'm not saying that nice things are bad and that we shouldn't have bank accounts. This isn't about that. It's about how do we live sacrificially in, with what God has given us, whether it be a lot or whether, whether it be a little. I wrote out an emphasis for this sermon to kind of help me with my mind and maybe help you out as well. Here's the emphasis. The road outside the gates of religion lead to a lasting city. On this road to the lasting city, we are strengthened by God's grace. Why? In order to continue running sacrificially, denying ourselves and picking up our cross to follow Jesus. That's a pretty good little summary of the Christian life. I have a bit of an outline today. It's in four parts, um, verses 9 through 11. We're going to talk about being strengthened by grace at the altar. In verse 12, we're going to talk about what it means to be set apart or sanctified. 13 and 14, we're going to talk about our sacrificial call, that we're actually to go outside the city gates. Where Jesus suffered. And then 15 through 19, we're going to talk a little bit about practical sacrificial living. So where have we been? We, we kind of started this little section in Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I kicked it off five weeks ago. And I talked about where the author talked about um, to run the race set before us with endurance. And what he had in mind there is that run the race set before you, that every one of us has a different race. It's the same, it's the same starting place um, at salvation. It's the same ending place in the new heavens and the new earth. But the road in between, it's a different road with different trials. Run the road set before us with endurance. And then Josh continued, he said he encourages us to keep running and endure, and endure the sufferings of the, of the trail, 
the discipline of the Lord. Chad reminded us the next week that the race has already been run, or excuse me, already been won, so continue to run. Um, Stephen last week encouraged us in chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, to run right. And today I'm going to carry that forward. Running right is running sacrificially. So let's look at verses 9 through 12. Stephen last week reminded us that Christians are saved by grace, not by rules, not by rituals, not by works, not by doing good. And the Jewish sacrificial system, including ceremonial foods, never saved the soul. And the works and the systems of religion bring no eternal benefit. The message of salvation by grace through faith has never changed because the Savior of the world, the third person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, is unchanging. So the first encouragement that we see today in this section of Scripture is how to be strengthened when we are weak, weary, and tired of running the race. Have you ever been there? Is there anybody today, no raise of hands, in your heart where today you need strengthening? Let me read verses 8 through 11. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. We're not going to deep dive into what it means, like the whole sacrificial system. This is what, what the author's talking about here, is living a life by grace or living a life uh, by, um, by rules, by religion. Salvation has always come to God's people by grace through faith. And, the, and, and, and we're strengthened in our faith by the same way. We're strengthened by grace through faith. Our faith was not founded, nor is it strengthened by checking religious boxes. Yes, there are many means of grace that are meant to edify us and strengthen our faith. Regular time in the Word, that's a good thing, and we find grace, it strengthens us. Fellowship with other believers, sitting under the teaching of God's Word, those are just a few. But, but all are a means to depending, uh, excuse me, of deepening our relationship with the Lord. So the author here talks about diverse and strange teachings, and we don't know exactly what he's pointing to, but we can infer that there are false teachings about how to live the Christian life, how to be strengthened, and how to live the Christian life. Jesus is the same today, he says, yesterday and tomorrow. He came to save those the Father gave him by grace, and he came to set people free from dead religion. We're to be free from dead religion. It's a relationship. The center of spirituality for Jews for centuries was inside the city gates of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a mecca of sorts for the, Jew, for the Jewish people. Zion, another word for Jerusalem, was the pinnacle for them. The author is saying that this city and the systems inside this city aren't what you think you, they are anymore. They've been replaced. The false teachings encourage weary Christians to be strengthened by religious activities, ceremonies, and systems, rather than finding grace at the altar. And I think we can, we can go to that same place. I'm not as sure exactly what the author has in mind, but oftentimes we can just check religious boxes. We can just go through the motions, even reading the Word, even in our prayer time, even coming on Sunday morning, rather than expecting to encounter the living God. 
expecting to be renewed and strengthened by his grace. So in contrast to the false teaching, the author writes this, it is good for the heart to be, re- to be strengthened by grace. The heart here is referring to the spiritual life of a Christian. So let me ask a rhetorical question. What or who needs strengthening? Somebody that's weak. The first step towards being strengthened by God's grace is acknowledging weakness. We're not very good about that in America. There are times when all of us are weak, we're weary, we're tired, and our faith needs to be strengthened, especially a week after this last couple of weeks, after this last couple of weeks. Like everywhere I turned, there was death and cancer and sickness and sin. And I found myself getting bitter, more bitter and bitter, not wanting to sacrifice anything, complaining about everything. And I even got to be with some of my favorite people last week. When our hearts need strengthening, we can turn to dead orthodoxy. Just read your Bible, just pray, just come to church without being renewed, strengthened by the grace of God. But we can also go to coping mechanisms when we need strengthening. Alcohol, fantasy, sports, TV, and all sorts of entertainment and leisure. Most are permissible. Some have value, depending on the person and the time. But none of those coping mechanisms can truly strengthen us. And some of them are downright harmful. The author reminds us that our strength comes by grace, not escaping, and not by religious box checking, by grace. And when we're tired and weak and weary and we seek to strengthen and sustain ourselves with the wrong food, we can, we, can, we can end up weaker than we were before. Remember the example I gave when I paced the guy in the ultra marathon for 29 miles, from mile 50 to mile 79? And he was weak and he needed strengthening. He needed food and he ingested the wrong food. He, he took in food that had too much salt and he stopped sweating. And his hands swelled up twice their normal size. His feet swelled up. His feet started bleeding. He knew he needed strengthening, but he took in the wrong food. The Jewish sacrificial system had an altar where animals were sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. And the work of the priests were never done. They had to continue sacrificing after sacrifice. In contrast, we're told in verse 10 that we have an altar, a place of a once and for all sacrifice, and that altar is the cross of Jesus, where the saving work of Jesus was accomplished once and for all. Cough drop kind. kind. We find strength in God's grace at the altar. The cross of Christ. It's at the cross It's only at the cross. We never move past the cross. It's at the cross 
where we most clearly see God's love and care and concern for us. We're strengthened by coming to the altar, the cross, and be reminded of God's grace, his grace that saved us, and his grace that continues to strengthen us. <coughs> this is a key principle in the Christian life. There are several books out there on the shelf about the gospel-centered life. We don't move past the cross of Christ. We don't move past the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this key principle in the Christian life, that we need God's grace, we need to come to the altar and be strengthened by God's grace. We need it to be strengthened and to be reminded of who we are. Another way of saying it is this, in the, in the illustration of this, of this ultra marathon, it's by grace that we enter the race, and it's God's grace that helps us run the race set before us. We must rely on God's matchless grace day by day. Let me give you an example from, from the Apostle Paul, from Saul, actually. After the Lord um, knocked him off the horse, blinded him, changed him from the inside out, he had a thorn in his flesh. And he pleaded with God, you know the story, three times to take away the thorn. And Jesus responded this. He needed strengthening. Take the thorn away. I can't handle it anymore. Remove the trial. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, the power of the living Spirit of God is, is, is made perfect in weakness. <coughs> Paul said, his response was, okay, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, every one of those involves sacrifice. To live a life that, that sacrifices in the same way Jesus sacrificed to boast in our weaknesses, not rail against God. So yes, the altar represents Jesus' sacrifice, but here's another thing that the altar represents here. We have an altar. It represents the place where you died, Christian. It's a place where you died. It's a place where you, uh, where you became renewed. The old is gone and the new has come. In dying with Jesus, you've been raised with him under new life. The power of Christ that rested upon Paul is the Spirit of God. This passage is silent about the Spirit of God. But Francis Chan calls the Spirit of God the forgotten God. But he is all over the pages of Scripture. The power of God is, comes from the Spirit of God. And it's, his, it's, it's the all-powerful Spirit that strengthens us when we humbly come before the altar or the cross and yet again plead for strength. It's in weakness that we're strengthened by God's grace. When we humbly come to the cross and we're reminded that Jesus died to take our sin and to indwell us with his spirit, then we are filled afresh with the hope of salvation and the knowledge that he is with us. So a picture that came to mind is that the spirit of God finds lowliness, humility, irresistible. That it's in, our, it's in our low points, in our weak points. It's at the bottom of the valley where we're filled with the Spirit. We're strengthened by the grace of God. 
So we need to humbly go to the cross of Christ and be strengthened by his grace. Next, we're going to see the ultimate reason for the cross and our call to pick up ours as well. And as I read verse 12, I want you to notice where and why Jesus suffered and died. Verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate, the gate to the city, in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Inside the gate is the city of Jerusalem. It's where people were comfortable and familiar with their dead religious activities. Jesus was their promised king, the Jews' promised king, the heir of King David. And they took him outside the gates of the kingdom to die on a trash heap called Golgotha, the place of the skull. He died outside the city, which was formerly sacred. The city was sacred, and now the city is unhallowed. Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem in order to be crowned with thorns as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they took him outside the gate and they killed him. Why? Why? Why did Jesus die? And the most common answer in Christianity is so that I can be forgiven. Wrong answer. He suffered outside the city in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. That's what the passage says. Don't, says don't miss it. The church has missed this for centuries. Jesus didn't come to live, suffer, and die with the end of you being forgiven from your sin. He suffered to set you apart from your sin and to set you apart to be his treasured possession. He died and suffered outside the gates to have the most intimate of relationships with you. To be an ever-present help in time of need. (coughs) To be set apart is the very root of sanctification. He died so that we could belong to him and have a relationship with him. He didn't die so that we could be forgiven and lead a disconnected, joyless life hopeless life. Listen to how Peter explains the result of Jesus' suffering in 1 Peter 2. But you, Christian, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. You see, sanctification is both instantaneous and progressive. At the moment of, of, of Jesus drawing you to himself and saving you by grace through faith, you became sanctified. That means that you were set apart for him. And then progressively, we live that out. Progressively, we become more and more like Jesus as we understand what that call looks like, as we become strengthened by grace in our weakness. Most Christians know they've been forgiven, but most don't understand that they've been set apart. We've been given a new race to run and a new way of running. We're to run the race that Jesus ran, running toward sacrifice, not comfort. Jesus gave his life so that we might have ours. He died so that we would have life, new life, the abundant life. And I'll say it again. This abundant life, this joyful life is found in giving our life away, not in keeping it. Not in keeping it. 
that brings us to the third point, our sacrificial call. So you've been sanctified or set apart. Your life is no longer your own. You are the living God's treasured possession. Verse 13 and 14. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here, in the camp, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And once again, this camp represents the religious systems. Jesus died outside the camp to show that he is better than religion. Religion is box checking and it does not lead to sacrifice. We've been set apart to find joy and happiness on a different road to a different city. This better road is found by going outside the camp and bearing the reproach that Jesus endured. And this camp not only represents the dead systems of religion, but it also, uh, it also represents the, co- the comfort of life and ease and selfishness. Going outside the camp and bearing the reproach Jesus endured is a life of sacrifice with our eyes fixed on a sure city, the hope of a sure city. So outside the camp, Jesus is calling. And his call is, for, is not just one time at, at, the, at the moment that you profess faith in Jesus to follow him. It's a daily call to follow him. Let's be honest just for a moment. The encouragement to run to the cross of Christ to be strengthened should not be hard for any Christian. Where else do we go? However, we are being asked to be strengthened by his grace and not stay inside the camp, but to live a life of sacrifice outside the camp of comfort. This is a call to daily pick up our cross and follow Jesus. It's a call for sacrificial living, to move towards the needs of others. Here in northern Colorado, here in America, we have no lasting city. None. There is blessing in the way of people. And right now there's blessing in the way of of the economy and the political system at some level. But this is not our lasting city. He died so we would stop looking for paradise on earth. And so that we would run from comfort towards sacrifice. I pray that, this is, that the Spirit of God is both encouraging you and convicting you, Christian, today. Not condemning you, not letting the enemy condemn you. But if we want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ go out in power, the church, the big C church, in this church, that we need to think and live differently. Instead of being against the culture and everything, we need to call sin, sin, but know that the only hope for the culture is not new laws, not new amendments, not new politicians, but new hope in Jesus Christ. That's what changes cultures. Change always comes from the inside out. Religion says that you change from the outside in. 
If you change the, the behavior, everything's going to work out okay. But grace changes us from the inside out. And that's the hope of the world. There are many ways that God calls his followers to pick up our cross. In the same way that we're to run the race set before us, as I mentioned at the very beginning, that you each have a cross to carry. I was talking to my son-in-law, I don't know, maybe six weeks ago. And I just, they, had, they have two foster kids, and they have four kids of their own. And I just asked them, how are you doing? I know it's a lot. They have a busy life. And he says, I'm trying to figure out how to enjoy and flourish with the gifts that God has given me, my wife, my kids, my job, and at the same time pick up my cross and follow Jesus. And I would submit to you they are one and the same. So when we live sacrificially, that we, that we flourish, that we experience the most joy. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, we got an example from Moses who grew up in Pharaoh's home. He had everything. And it says this, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward, the city. And the reward is Jesus. I want to give you a reminder here as I finish up that we don't live this way. We don't live sacrificial lives in order to receive anything. That's religion. We live sacrificial lives because we already possess everything in Christ Jesus. We live sacrificial lives not to be accepted, because, but because we are already fully and forever accepted. And that doesn't change on our worst day. God's love for us is the same on, on our best day as it is on our worst day. In verses 15 through 19, I want to just talk about sacrificial living. Um, the author gives us just a couple practical things to consider. He exhorts us towards three types of sacrificial living. Sacrifice with our words, sacrifice with our deeds, and sacrifice by submitting to our leaders. This type of sacrificial life is manifest progressively by the Spirit of God in those who are strengthened by God's grace. Listen to verse 15. Through Him, through the Spirit of Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. We don't do this on our own. It's being in Christ and being strengthened by Christ that He works through His people. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So the first one, the, the first uh, sacrifice of praise is words, our words. And there's many different ways to go with this, but here's what I think the author is talking about. There's many ways which we offer up a sacrifice of praise, including sharing the gospel, including opening our mouth in, a, in where we work, live, play, and learn. And telling people about the only hope of the, world, of the world. But I don't think he's talking about that there. I think the author has in mind here um, 
a connection to Psalm 50:14 and other places in the Old Testament that is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. Have you ever been around people, if you were around me this last week, you could say yes, that are just like seeing everything wrong with everything. And they're not living, sacri- they're not living thankful lives. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, he says it again in, in, um, in Ephesians 5. He says, he says um, be thankful always and in everything. Be thankful always and in everything, not just when things are good. Someone most once said, I think it was John Piper, that God is most glorified in us. He's most praised. He received the most praise from us when we are most satisfied in him. And we're only satisfied when we're thankful. When we're strengthened by the hope of the cross and the knowledge that we have a better city to come, we're thankful people. It comes out in our words. Fruit. He says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. When you think of fruit, what do you think about? Like we got, ras- we got like blackberries in our backyard. And the only thing that we can do is like plant them and water them. Um, they, they produce fruit on their own. Healthy things produce fruit. So it's, it's God. It's the Spirit of God that produces fruit in us. And we produce more and more fruit with our words when we're strengthened by His grace. Next is our deeds. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In Mark chapter 10, verses 33 through 34, Jesus told His disciples that they were going up to Jerusalem where he would be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they would condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they would mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and three days later he would, he would rise. That's the gospel, isn't it? We would say that's the reason the church exists and it is. It's proclaim his excellencies. Jesus came to die so that all who trust in his finished work might find life. And we should find that we should have, find, have the same zeal to share this good news with anyone and everyone. But I want you to notice the very next account in Mark 10, after Jesus said that I'm going to Jerusalem to lay my life down. The very next account in Jesus' journey is in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And here's what happens: He comes across a blind man named Bartimaeus. And on his way to die for the sins of the world. He said, Barty, I've got more important work to do. Nope. He stopped. And he healed him. Please don't miss this. There's a saying that, that, that holds some water. It's not, it's, I've got some issues with it, but it might be helpful here. Is that people don't care about our gospel. Until they know that we care about them. People are not a project. It's God who brings salvation. Yes, we open our words that people are saved by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But Jesus cares about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. Let me give you another example in Matthew chapter 9. You remember this? Um, Jesus told a ruler whose daughter had just died that he would follow him to where his daughter lay dead and he would heal her. You remember that story? And you know what happened on the way? 
Jesus is in a crowd. People are walking around him. He's in a crowd, and he felt a woman who was bleeding rub up against him. And he said, who touched me? And he stopped, and he healed her on the way to raise the ruler's daughter. This, is, this should be our life. When we leave here on Sunday, when we go to work, when we go to work, live, play, and learn. Like, God, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Not only who needs to hear the gospel, yes, amen, at the front of the line. But who's suffering? Who needs a kind word? One of the pictures that I've had in my mind over this last week is you've seen them. There's, there's, there's a number of them. There's one back in 19, 1957, I think. There's one in like 19, uh, 2018, 2012, where they're runners that are running a race. And somebody next to them stumbles, falls. You've seen it. Here's an account of one of those. In 2019, there was a, there was a runner by the name of Brema Sunkar Dabo from Guinea. He was in the final lap of a men's 5,000-meter race at the World Athletic Championships. And he noticed that there was an opponent that was struggling. And his opponent was from Aruba. And he was near collapse because the temperatures on the track were 99 degrees and it had a feel-like temperature of 122 degrees. And even though the track was air-conditioned, they had the air conditioning off not to ruin the conditions for a potential world record. And Dabo from Guinea saw Busby from Aruba struggling, and Dabo decided to stop his own race to help him finish the race. All illustrations break down at some point, but that's your call. Our call is to live a life sacrificially, and we can only do that when we see the needs Stephen last week talked about in, in, in um, the first several verses of chapter 13 how um, the author was encouraging the Jewish Christians to visit people in, in prison, to exercise hospitality, to, uh, to uh, not have a love of money. That's all sacrificial. What's God calling you to? It might be a big thing. It could be a big thing like David and Nicole Morgan that are getting called somewhere. It could be... Uh, uh, bringing in foster kids when you have no room in your house and no money on how to do it. Could be a prison ministry. I don't know what that is. It could be simply walking day to day with your eyes and ears open and asking God to show you who, to, who needs to be encouraged or served in some way. I'm going to actually finish here because we're running a bit late. What time does this service start? 10.30? All right. So we got all kinds of time. I still have COVID brain. Let me read Romans 12, 1 through 2. I don't know if it was Josh or Chad or Stephen. I think it might have been Stephen last week that talked about the, in Scripture, we oftentimes say that the first part of a, of a book are the indicatives the indicatives of the gospel. What is it that God has done? Who is God? Who are we before salvation? And then the second half of the imperatives, 
how shall we now live? This is, this is, this is the truth. How shall we live? And Romans 12, 1 through 2, this is a breaking point in the, in the book of Romans, where Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you by everything that God has done for you at the, at the altar, through the resurrection, through his perfect life. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're to live our lives as spiritual worship, not to gain anything, not to be accepted, but because we are already fully accepted. And it goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart. You have a new race to run. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And our minds are renewed by the gospel of Jesus Christ as we come to the altar and are strengthened by grace. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is. God, what do you want me to do? God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in northern Colorado? What are you doing in this church? How do you want me to respond? I'm willing to pick up my cross. What do you have for me? Then the last, the last point under this sacrificial living is what I call submission. And it says obey your leaders. It's talking about church leaders. And I think the reason that they ha- he has it in there under sacrificial living is that um, we're all independent. We don't easily submit to authority. So, and there's nothing, there's nothing in our nature that makes us want to submit to anyone. Submission requires sacrifice. So obey your leaders. Submit to your leaders. Submit to one another in the context of marriage, in the context of the body. Submit to the leaders that God has put over you, whatever they may be. So I'm going to close there. Um, This race is hard at times. And God doesn't give us clarity as to what he's doing but we know the end. We know we have a better city where Jesus is going to be waiting for us. And in the meantime, we can be strengthened by grace at the altar, at the cross of Christ. And it's at the altar we're reminded of God's love and care for us. It's at the altar that we're reminded that we've been set apart that we have a sacrificial call, that we're to go to Jesus outside the gates. And that empowered by the Spirit of God, for the glory of God, and the good of, the, the good of all people, we're to live sacrificially. God, thank you that, um, Lord, that you had a plan from eternity past to create a people for your own possession. And I thank you that there was nothing that, that was going to stop you from that, from that desire, not even the sin of Adam and Eve and not even the sin that indwells all of humanity. And I thank you that you're a promise-keeping God, that you kept your promise to bring forth a Savior one who would create a way for us to be back in relationship with you. 
It just blows me away that, that I'm fully accepted. That anyone who's been saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross has been fully accepted. That we're all the way in. We're fully adopted. And that you love us the same on our best day as you do on our worst day. But Jesus, thank you for the, for the altar where you willingly and sacrificially laid your life down so that we might live. And God, I thank you for the invitation to come outside the gates of the city to endure the reproach that you endured, suffer the reproach that you endured. And uh, Lord, I pray you give us the courage to run that race on that road. And Lord, you're gonna, this world offers plenty of crosses. I pray that you would just help us pick up our cross and follow you wherever you may lead for your glory and for the good of others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.